As we turn our attention to this morning's scripture, I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will be there. And if you're in some strange-sounding things like Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Haggai and Zechariah, just keep going a little bit further till the names sound a little bit normal to you. Matthew chapter 20. Uh, We'll be beginning at verse 1, and throughout Lent, we're going to be paying attention to different parables of Jesus, both what they mean for us, but also the picture of, of God's kingdom that Jesus gives through these stories, through these stories with intent that we call parables. Now, today we're in Matthew 20 with the parables, with the parable of a vineyard owner and all of the workers that are hired. Vineyard owners, just like the grapes on the table, just... Go out, take care of the vines, harvest the grapes. Last week, we had the story of the prodigal son, in which case a young son wanted all that was his. He took it off. He packed his bags and went off to a far-off country until he lost everything. And we see that God is so eager and gracious to welcome him back that we can't be too far gone for him not to, to be rejoicing in receiving us back. And today we come to the parable of the vineyard. And as you hear this, we'll pray in just a moment for God's blessing upon the word. As you hear the words of it, and as you see the reactions, know that the reactions make sense. And perhaps within this, we have what Soren Kierkegaard, a theologian, referred to as the the sin of comparison. The sin of comparison. So pay attention for that particular sin as we read from Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 1, the parable of the vineyard. But before we do so, let's pray for God's blessing upon the word. God, any of us can tell stories. Any of us can recount and share an event that happened. But Jesus, you gave us the parables, these stories with intent, as a gift to enlighten our understanding, to challenge us, to encourage us, to deepen our faith, and also to strengthen us. So Lord, as we read these stories today, may you make them alive to us. May you shine your light within them and on them. And just as we are reminded of the beauty of the light this morning, may you help us reflect not just any old light, but may we reflect your light in all that we say and think and do. In your name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about, th- and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. 
The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who is hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Once again, we come to a sad, true reality, and Jesus is just reinforcing it, right? A phrase that not so long ago came up in a different sermon. Life's not fair. Life's not fair, is it? You can do everything right. You can work super hard and get every single detail correct and have it almost account for nothing. Or, or in the case of the vineyard workers, not be enough, not be more. Life's not fair. I remember when I was young, growing up on a farm, that there was a year where planting went really, really well. We worked hard. Everything was in the ground. Things were looking good. Everything was done correctly and well. Hard work was invested into that planting season, and things were looking good. And then that year was a horrible flood. And those of you familiar with agriculture or who have lived adjacent to that life, You know that once that kind of event happens, you kind of go into insurance mode to break even for the year. Because you didn't do anything wrong. You did everything right. You worked hard. But now it's kind of all for nothing. You're not going to do anything. Nothing great is going to come of this. Life's not fair. But we also have to keep in mind, sometimes with a chuckle, that life sometimes isn't fair in our favor. Right? And when I think of how life can sometimes be unfair in our favor, I still go back to a childhood memory, fighting with my sister about who got to have the dog sit with them on the way to and from the vet's office. Oh man, I so wanted to be able to have Bear sit by me. But I'm the youngest. And let me tell you, if you're the youngest, life's really unfair. And as was the case, Jill won, Bear got to sit by her, Life's not fair. But you know what? This is before we knew that Bear got carsick. <laughs> Sometimes life's not fair in your favor. About two and a half miles from home, all of a sudden Jill starts screaming, She puked on me! And I was like, oh, I was sitting in the back seat. I had never been so smug in all of my life. Mile and a half from home, she did it again! <laughs> Oh, life's not fair, but sometimes it's unfair in your favor. But isn't it funny, with the sin of comparison, or is it in fact not funny, that when life's not fair, we lament it as injustice, but when life's not fair in our favor, that's just good luck, right? That we probably deserved, or maybe we can be a little bit thankful for it. 
But Jesus didn't tell this parable just to remind us that life's not fair, though we know that. We already knew that. Jesus told this parable without, there's no secret, inter, there's no secret post-cultural thing that, that this would be a normal practice. It is weird, and it would stand out to us as weird that people would be paid different amounts for, or the same amount for very different amounts of work. That seems unfair to us. It would seem unfair to the hearers in Jesus' time as well. A denarius is a normal day's wage, but the assumption of a day's wage is that it's for the day. So why does Jesus tell this parable? To remind us of what we already know? Granted, there are some parables that remind us of what we already know. To remind us that life's not fair. For those who were hired first and who were paid last, they got to see the fact that they weren't receiving anything more for all their hard work and effort than those who, I mean, basically stood around in the market all day waiting and then got hired in for, you know, a good hour and they got a day's wage for it. Did Jesus just want to remind us of that? <clears throat> or to kind of center in on those who, well, they didn't know that this worked out unfairly in their favor. Well, but the way Jesus tells the parable, we have to remember that those who were hired last and paid first, with this whole the first will be last and the last will be first thing going on, those who were hired last and paid first, they didn't even know what happened. In fact, some are told, I will pay you whatever is right. And so, they're hired. They don't have much skin in the game, really. And they receive a wage as well. But they don't know that those who have worked the whole day, who had been on first and second shift of the day before they even got there. But that's actually not the thing that Jesus is worried about in the telling of the parable. What we might be worried about already, if we're kind of cluing into some of this, what we might be concerned about is, what if those who were hired last and paid first and got a denarius for just working an hour, what if they start to notice that this is a pattern with this landowner and maybe exploit that pattern? What if they do maybe sleep in a little bit, keep themselves hidden, and hope, in fact, that they'll get called by this same vineyard owner at the last part of the day, and at that last part of the day, they'll get hired in? That might be more our concern and the concern of those who heard these words from Jesus first. That what if, what if that loophole gets exploited? Once again, this is the sin of comparison at work. Those are the things that we get concerned about and nervous about. But note that within this, Jesus, in parables, is using the everyday stuff of life to make a point and an example doesn't mean that this is the practice that Jesus is actually suggesting. This parable isn't with any suggestion a chronic practice either. So maybe we need to take a deep breath and maybe see what in our own life makes us worried that these hired last paid first folks might get. Maybe that's more of our concern than anybody else's. It certainly isn't the point that Jesus wants to make. If we think about what do we learn about God in this? And maybe we have to wonder, what exactly is that denarius? Because it's an everyday, it'd be, a fair, it'd be a fair day's wage. But what is Jesus getting at? Is the denarius grace? If it is grace, that would make sense with what the landowner, being God, says at the end. Are you envious because I am generous? In the sin of comparison, are we envious because of the times that God seems to be really generous with his grace and favor towards others. And we're wondering why we got left out. 
Haven't we been working in the vineyard all day too? Why did this happen to me? Why didn't I get more? Or why did they get so much? The point is that nobody lost out in this. The landowner is very clear. I gave you exactly what I said I would do. If we think about God making promises, this is a matter of, well, word was kept. A promise was given and a promise was kept. God keeps the promises. God keeps the covenants that we don't. And in this way, it goes beyond, well, life's not fair, sometimes in our favor, sometimes not. But if we just pay attention to the behavior of the landowner, the one who owns the vineyard, if we pay attention to the reactions, to what's said, to what's done, and we think, okay, is this the God that we're worshiping? And if so, then this is a picture of the kingdom that, that he intends for us. This is God's kingdom. As we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And there's, well, a seeming unfairness. And that's not disputed, actually, in any good commentary or discourse. It is just a little bit unfair. And yet it's not unfair because promises are kept. What else do we see about God in this parable? We see that, well, promises are kept. And I think there's, if we read through not just this parable, but the Old and New Testaments, there is more than a denarius worth of promises in Scripture. And to know that God will keep all of those promises, this should stand out to us as something good. But also there's something strange. The only thing that, that culturally the first hearers of this parable would be like, well, that's a little weird, is that the vineyard owner keeps going back and forth, keeps going out, keeps looking for more people. That, for one, would just be impractical. Unless that vineyard is like right next to the city market, you'd lose a lot of time. It would be inefficient for that landowner to go back and forth, back and forth, looking for more workers. It's very normal practice, and in some parts of the world still today, very normal for day workers to wait in places to be hired in for a job. But the vineyard owner keeps going back and forth, looking for more workers for the vineyard. And this might echo to a different part in the Gospels where Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But similar to the way that the prodigal son is received by the father, joined in, welcomed, celebrated even. We find here a vineyard owner who is eager to get as many workers in the vineyard as possible and is going to take care of them as well. We get caught up in the sin of comparison. That's just not what God is worried about. Although God is concerned about sin. We can look at our lives and say, haven't I done right? Haven't I done well? Why is there so much grace and favor poured out on those who, let's be honest, are a little bit more like that prodigal son from last week? Or do we sometimes go the other way? Can we get a little bit too smug, as I was just a little bit too smug and humored in the back seat of the 94 Aerostar with no vomit on my lap? Thank you very much. Can we be a little bit too smug? I think if there's a warning on both sides of the first and the last and everywhere in between, including the middle, is to resist becoming cynical 
and to resist becoming smug. We can get cynical if we think that our labor and work counts for nothing. If it's, why even bother? Why try? If it's only going to end up in frustration and disappointment, if it's not going to get me any further ahead, then why? What's the effort worth? Those are the moments where we can get cynical, like those who are hired first and paid last. And I think this parable contains a clear concern for us to not get cynical. On the other side, if we were to exploit the loophole of who is hired when and paid what, we can get smug. We could get smug and in a different way say, you know what, it's a good thing I don't have to worry about too much because I know it's kind of all going to work out anyway. We can get smug. We can be self-assured. And I do think that the gospel gives us quite a bit of assurance. That's even why in our moment of confession that Ben led us in, we call it confession and assurance. But it's not a smug self-assurance. It is a God-reliant assurance. It is a dependence on God that we find assurance in. So don't be purposely hired last to kind of skate through and be smug about it. And don't, don't get cynical. And don't let it sneak up on you. That we can get caught up in what's worth it, what's not. Can I get by with the least amount or does my hard work not matter at all anyway? These are things that aren't just business practice things. This can be investing in our families and our relationships. Why? If it's just going to end up in heartbreak. Why? If we're going to get hurt. Why? If it's not going to matter. We can get cynical or smug. All depending on what side of the equation we're on and especially dependent on how we compare ourselves to others. I often think of one of my favorite just comedy movies to watch is the remake of The Pink Panther. And Jacques Clouseau is the clueless inspector and everything just works out for him all the time. He solves crimes even though he's totally a fool. And in the remake, there's at one point, one character is explaining to the other how to find Inspector Clouseau in the airport. And he says, he's got white hair, a thin mustache, he's breaming with self-confidence and is completely lost. That is a picture of being just smug and almost clueless. That's not where we end up in this parable. I wonder if this parable is one that we might hear and say, oh yeah, that's kind of unfair, I get it, God wants to be equal as everybody and move on too fast without actually wondering, am I getting smug or cynical? Certainly it would seem that even in Matthew's gospel, after this parable is told, Jesus predicts his death a third time, and then right after that, so we're in Matthew 20, if you pick up at verse 20, there is a request from the mother of the sons of Zebedee, and she comes and asks, can you grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom? Right after Jesus tells the parable of like, hey, hired first, hired last, paid first, paid last, like everybody got the same promises fulfilled. Everyone was kept equal in this. Right after that, whether she wasn't there for the teaching of the parable or what, she's like, hey, can my sons actually be more important than everybody else when your kingdom has fully come? after we've just heard a parable about no. And in that moment, Jesus is like, okay, for one, that's not even mine to give. And for two, no, this isn't even something that you, you don't even know actually what you're asking. And the sons of Zebedee are sure that they can measure up. 
right after the parable is told, this request happens. And I wonder if there's something helpful in Matthew 20 for us with that. Right after we get done with service, as we leave, as we go downstairs for a cup of coffee, as we leave from this place, maybe this afternoon, maybe tomorrow morning, on your way to whatever your Monday morning routine is, at home or at work or wherever. I wonder if right after hearing this parable, if we'll be caught in the trap of self-comparison, if it'll sneak up on us, even after we've heard the parable of the vineyard, as we paid attention to it, as we've thought about Jesus keeping all of the promises that were made in the Old and New Testaments, I wonder how fast we can hear this parable and pull a mother of the sons of Zebedee and be caught up in self-comparison again. I wonder, as I go to General Synod this June, big church meeting, nothing more fun than a week-long church meeting. Thanks for the chuckles. I wonder if there's some comparison of whose voice really counts and matters. Is it those who have, oh, my church is the oldest. My church is the biggest. We need the parable of the vineyard to say, we're all on the same team here. We're all on the same page. And the denarius worth of promises that God has given, God will keep, regardless. And we can get cynical about those who do less. And we can get smug about the times that we didn't have to do as much. But in all of this, the haunting and convicting question that the landowner gives as Jesus is portraying, who is the king of this kingdom? Are you envious because I am generous? Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are you envious because I am generous? Friends, let us celebrate God's generosity keeping our own sins of comparison that will only lead us to cynicism or an unholy smugness. Keeping it all in check and celebrating that God is generous. And so whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, let us do it all in the name of the Lord as if we were working for God and not just for other people that we're comparing ourselves to. And in that, may there be assurance. May there be peace. And may we be free from the sin of comparison. Let's pray. God, you gave us simple stories. They're easy to remember. They're pretty easy to retell. We could learn them in a moment, but we could reflect on them for a lifetime. And as today, as we've heard the parable of the vineyard workers, May we give thanks to you that you are generous. Protect us from the sin of comparison to others. Guard our hearts and make us aware of our own times of cynicism or the ways in which we can be a little bit smug and how that just might creep into our lives unaware. Protect us from hearing this parable now and going exactly into old habits later as if we didn't even hear it at all. So God, we give you thanks in this moment for those that we perceive that they don't work as hard as we do. They don't do as much as we do. We give you thanks for your love for them and for the contributions to your vineyard that they make. And God, for those who seem to do a lot and grumble, forgive them and us for the times that we, in fact, may grumble. 
and all the ways in which we can understand that cryptic phrase that the last will be first and the first will be last. May we know that our order matters less than the fact that we belong to you and that with your repeat to going out to the field again and again and again, that you have found us. And regardless of the hour of the day, you have called us your own and asked us to work in your vineyard as well. May we work in your vineyard free from comparison, simply resting, standing, in fact, on your promises that you, O God, will keep. In your holy name we pray, O Christ. Amen.